Let's open the New Testament Scriptures to the Gospel of John and its first verse. John chapter 1. Words that many of us memorized a long time ago, and they should be very precious words to us. If you've never memorized the first verses of John 1, you might want to make that effort while we proceed through this chapter. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know from 1 John that our brother John was very particular about the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we should not be surprised the way he starts off this gospel by identifying the origin of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Word of God. When we look at the other gospels, we see Matthew opening with Joseph and his espoused wife Mary, and Jesus is traced back to Abraham. When we open Mark, We meet John the Baptist, and Jesus is 30 years old. When we open Luke, we meet Joseph and Mary, Mary in particular, and Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, more carefully. And Jesus is traced back to Adam in the third chapter. But when we come to John, in the beginning... Choosing words from Genesis 1-1 was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. John reaches higher. John reaches further back to find the Word of God in eternity. And He is the divine nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Bible tells us about events that took place in the beginning. God chose us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before Genesis 1-1, He had committed Himself through the Word to take on flesh to die for us by name. Our names were written in the book of life before the world began. God promised eternal life before the world began. In fact, He purposed to convert Gentiles before the world began. Because of in the beginning was the Word. And the Bible tells us about things that took place in the beginning. What does this phrase, in the beginning, mean to you? No one else has loved you from the beginning. No one else hardly loves you at all. If we're honest and sincere in comparison to the love of Christ for us. This world and its universe is winding down, but before it even existed, and long after it is totally renovated, your Lord Jesus Christ knew you. In the infinity of eternity without universe, without time, without creatures, 
He had purposed to save you and to give you eternal life. Thus his name is eternal life in 1 John 1, 2. When you close a prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Do you know what name you are invoking? Do you know what authority and power is associated with that name? In Jesus' name, amen. It is the Word that was in the beginning. It is the Word that was with God. It is the Word that was God. It is the Word made flesh. We invoke His name and the words fly out of our mouths too easily, I fear, many times. We want to be conscious of the fact when we say the words, in Jesus' name, Amen, you are claiming Jehovah God as a witness to your prayer, as the means of access to God the Father in heaven, by all authority in the universe, under God, you claim by that name. When you are overwhelmed, I can promise you there is one that is not overwhelmed. And it is the Word of God. It is our Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have come to the second phrase or clause of this three-clause verse. In the beginning was the Word, was last Lord's Day. The eternal nature of the Word of God. He was in the beginning. Now we have this clause. And the Word was with God. Note the Holy Spirit's choice of words. The Word, not the Son, was with God. The Word, not the Son, was with God. There are five descriptive facts that you should learn about the Lord Jesus Christ in His divine nature from these first three verses. In the first verse, we learn three. In the beginning was the Word, tells us that He is eternal. The Word is eternal and was in the beginning before Genesis 1-1. We covered that last Lord's Day. The second fact is from the second clause. And it's the one that we're taking up now. The second clause tells us, and the Word was with God. This second descriptive fact about the Word, telling us that He was with God, distinguishes Him from God. In this respect, that there is a plurality of persons in the singular God that every Bible reader understands when they take up a Bible. Because the holy book of the Christian religion, the holy book even of Moses' religion, is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Right. We, we are monotheists. One God. So in order for the Word, and we already know that He is God, by cheating ahead to the third clause, to find out that the Word was with God is telling us that there is a plurality, at least two, in the Godhead. 
We know there are three because of other places in the Scriptures. That's the second thing we want to know about the Word of God, that there is a plurality. The Trinity is a Bible doctrine. Contrary to anyone that wants to argue against it. The third descriptive fact contained in the first verse as well, and the Word was God. It is that the Word is fully God. He is not a God. He is not a begotten God. He is not an emanating God. He is not a temporary God. He is God. Jesus is God because Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. The fourth descriptive fact is in the next verse, the Word is co-eternal and co-existent with God the Father. The same was in the beginning with God. It sounds like a needless, redundant repetition, but it is not. That has not been stated yet. It said, in the beginning was God, was the Word. Then it said, the Word was with God. But now it ties those two together. There are no loose ends left about the Word of God. Verse 2 ties up the opening of verse 1 and ties it together. There are no loose ends. The same, the Word, was in the beginning with God. Coexistent and co-eternal. Not begotten. Not generated. Not proceeding. Not emanating. He was God. Was with God. In the beginning, because He's eternal just as God is eternal. The fifth descriptive fact is in the third verse, and that is that the Word of God was uncreated, contrary to Arians and others who make the Word of God a created God, and a God. He was uncreated, yet He is the Creator of all things. And this is our Lord Jesus Christ. We just learned five facts about Him. The first fact in the first, I'm going to repeat it. First fact in the first clause of the first verse, the word's eternal existence. Jesus is eternal God. Because the word is eternal by its saying, in the beginning was the word. Second, we understand that he is a distinct Godhead person. Because he was with God. Though he was God and there is only one God, yet to be with God means there were different persons. In one single Godhead. Third, we know that He is God, like the God He was with because it says, and the Word was God. Fourth, we know that He was eternal like the God He was with. He is no less in His nature and essence, in His form and Godhead, than the God that He was with. He is the eternal God. He is Jehovah God. And fifth, We know He is uncreated and the Creator of all things. And there is so much to learn here, and we'll not spend too long on it, but please give me this service's sermon on it. And we'll move ahead. I never want you to fall in error about the person and identity of Jesus of Nazareth. He did not think it robbery to be equal with God. Because He was God. He is part of the Holy Trinity because He was with God. So the Bible can say there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. The baptismal formula is to baptize them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Because the three of them are the triune God. And that's what we want to look at by Clause 2, because the Word of God was distinguished from God, and it can't be that there's two gods. It must be that there are at least two persons in one Godhead. By Godhead, we mean His essence, His nature, the body of traits that make up God. There's only one of them. There's only one supreme being. There is only one Jehovah. But He operates with three persons. The Bible tells us that. There are three. Let me quote it again. 1 John 5, 7. And we believe that verse is as much Scripture as any other verse. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Whether we can explain it much better than that doesn't matter. We believe it by revelation. The Word of God as God, because the third clause tells us the Word was God, yet being with God and distinct from God is the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity. That in one God, one essence, one substance of His infinite infinite attributes that make up God, He operates in three different persons. And those three different persons are all engaged in various aspects of the redemption of your soul. And their names are for the comfort of your soul. They don't need to talk to each other. And I don't even want to say it. I don't want to sound disrespectful or irreverent. They don't need to call each other names. Those names are in the Bible for you to fully be embraced by the triune God has set out to redeem you. One is your Father. One is the Word who reveals and makes manifest God to you and revealed God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is operating within you, around you, unseen and invisible like a spirit should be. We're not there yet, but I just got to say a little bit of it now. Is God holy? Is God a spirit? Then why is one of His persons called the Holy Spirit? Because we know what a spirit is. It's unseen. And the Spirit of God is unseen and operates within us. And God chose these words, though His whole Godhead is Holy Spirit, because He's holy and He's a spirit. But one of the persons is engaged in unseen activities to keep us, empower us, bless us, and shed abroad God's love in our hearts. The Word. He declares God, as verse 18 tells us right here in this chapter. He reveals God. He makes manifest God to us. He is the express image of God, and He's called the Word made flesh. And then God the Father, looked at as the the ultimate source of our refuge, our salvation, our adoption, our filial affection from God by the name of Father. He's Father in a number of respects in the Bible, but I can tell you one thing He is not. He is not the Father of the Word. And He's not the Father of the Spirit. And the Word doesn't run around in heaven 
calling the first person father. I promise you. Do you understand what I'm saying? The names are for your benefit. The names are wonderful. The names are wonderful. Do you know what is unseen in this assembly right now? God the Father and God the Word present by God the Holy Spirit. In us, among us, around us. Words chosen for your benefit. More. In a moment. Or a couple moments. Christianity is monotheistic. Mono. Meaning one. Theistic. Referring to God's. The doctrine or belief that there is only one God. Look at holding your hand always at John 1. You probably, I hope you know it by now. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. It's a verse that I quoted already, but I want to read it to you. I want you to see it. I want you to remember it that our God is one. We are monotheists. Polytheists make us sick. Poly is many. Polytheism. Many gods. A belief in many gods makes us sick. They don't know what they're talking about. They've made up and imagined the gods they think they worship. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel. And hear, congregation this morning. The Lord, that is Jehovah, by those capital letters, the Lord our God is one Lord. Jehovah our God is one Jehovah. I am that I am. Not we are that we are, but I am that I am. This verse, how many times could we say it and still get a good, powerful feeling from it? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We believe that. We have one God. God being described as His Godhead, meaning the collection of attributes that make up the nature of the supreme, infinite Jehovah is one. But that one nature operates in three persons for us. That is the best description that we can make of it. There are three that bear record in heaven. They are three persons. It takes a person to bear record or to be a witness. There are three persons in heaven. Three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And so 1 John 5, 7 matches Deuteronomy 6, 4 perfectly. Judaism. Whatever that is. Those people in the Middle East and scattered around the world that call themselves Jews. They are some form of monotheists. Islam is monotheistic because they stole their religion from the Jews and from the Christians in 700 A.D. by their illiterate traitor, Muhammad. So they're monotheists because Allah is their only God and they stole Him from Abraham and they stole Him from the Arabians because... He's the moon god of the Arabians and thus their crescent moon everywhere. Polytheism is the belief in many gods. Greece, Rome, Mormonism, Hinduism are polytheistic. There is no pantheon or arrangement of multiple deities in Christianity. The word pantheon for Greek gods and Roman gods was an arrangement of those gods in some system 
that tried to make sense out of them. Now the Hindus are so blinded that they have 330 million deities. That's the number that they propose. 330 million deities. You look at their nation, you read their writings, and you know they've never met a single one that can be called God. Because there is evidence for God wherever He is believed. Proverbs chapter 8 tells us that God is wise and wisdom should follow Him. So when someone claims to have 330 million deities and they still all empty their sewage in the Ganges and think that that's a holy river in which they they need to touch and get in, and all the other stupid, foolish things that nation does, you know they've never met a single one. But enough about Hinduism. You know, the whole world's known that for a long time, that, uh, you know, people who starve to death while all that animal flesh is walking by their front door and crapping in their streets has something wrong with their theology and their doctrine of reincarnation, of coming back over and over and over again. What a religion of hope. How many times do I get to die by coming back and dying over and over again? There is only one God, period. There can only be one totally supreme being, and that supreme being is our God, Jehovah. This is self-evident if we define and describe God as the totally supreme being. The Bible states it clearly, like I just showed you from Deuteronomy. How about Isaiah and chapter 43? Isaiah's 40s have a lot to say about God. They ought to be some of your favorite chapters in the Bible, because if you like God boasting about Himself, the 40s in the book of Isaiah are the place to go. I know that they're the favorite of many of you, and they're one of my favorite places of Scripture where God lifts Himself up to us. Isaiah 43 and verse 10. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Amen. Chapter 44 and verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. And beside me, there is no God. Who else in the Bible said that they were the first and the last? The Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. What does that make Him by comparing with this verse? God, the Lord Jehovah. Look at verse 8. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time... And have declared it, ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. That's our God speaking about Himself. There's only one God, and He exists in a plurality, actually a trinity of persons. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 to show that this doctrine continues through both Testaments. It wasn't changed by meeting Greeks and Romans who couldn't figure out their pantheons very well, and of course they've disappeared, and now both nations are the laughingstock of Europe. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 
I love America. You know one little reason I love America? It's monotheistic. When our fathers read the words one nation under God, they weren't thinking it was some polytheistic, messed up system like Hindus or Greeks or Romans. It was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was the God of the Bible. One God. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. Amen. Does that, do you like that kind of language? This is our brother Paul. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. Amen. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, sounds like he met the Hindus, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Amen and amen. Amen. That's our monotheistic religion. God is eternal in both directions without end, as I shared with you last Sunday from that first clause, in the beginning was the Word. Our God is self-existent, self-subsistent, infinitely independent, because He is... I am that I am. That is an incredibly profound, wonderful, short, concise, inclusive name. I am. Not I was, not I shall be. I simply am. I possess time. I inhabit eternity. I am from everlasting to everlasting. I am that I am. All the attributes that make me up, I am independently all those things. I derive my being. I just derive my attributes from no one. I subsist by myself. There is no other. I am that I am. And if you want his shortened name, tell them, he told Moses, that I am sent you. I am. Do you know what you are? Well, let's get started. I am God's creation. He had to make me. My father's had, my father and mother had to have me. My mother had to conceive me. My mother had to birth me. I'm only going to be here on this world for a while. I cannot say I am. Because pretty soon, I won't be. We're nothing in comparison to Him. But we're joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ of eternity. Amen. Because the Word, being God, is I am. Would Jesus ever claim that? That He was I am? John eight fifty eight. They asked Him, Are you trying to say that you're greater than our father Abraham? Jesus said before Abraham was. So he understood verb tenses, didn't he? Before Abraham was. Let's just make sure he understood verb tenses. Before Abraham was, I am. John 8, 58. Yes, Lord! Yes, Lord! Before Abraham was, 
I am. Our God's name is Jehovah, and He is infinitely transcendent to all gods. His special name, let's go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. This is the burning bush event in which Moses heard this name of God. Now when you go back and read the book of Genesis, do you find capital L and capital O-R-D? Yes, you do, because who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses did. Exodus three fourteen. Out of the burning bush, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Exodus 3.14 This is our God. It is not the worked up imagination of camel jockeys in Saudi Arabia who worshipped the moon because they didn't like the sun for obvious reasons. Have you ever been to Saudi Arabia? Have you ever read about the climate there? It's nothing but a piece of sand. Under the hot sun, I am hath sent you. The Jews have worshipped I am and sacredly kept the tetragrammaton, the four consonants of that name, very carefully guarded for thousands of years before Muhammad took an Arabian god and made him preeminent and sold Islam by his scimitar to the nations of the Middle East. He never convinced anyone by logic or prophecy. Our religion convinces by prophecy. The number one proof that the Bible is a supernatural book are the hundreds of fulfilled prophecies. And every year that geologists and other diggers dig for things, they find more evidence that things declared in the Bible, not having been seen before, were actually true. Civilizations they didn't know existed, but the Bible refers to. And so we have this book that the Jews kept up for us until it came to the New Testament and it declared the God that they worshipped for 1,500 years long before Islam, just using Islam as a comparison. Now I want verse 15 is why I turned you here. And God said moreover unto Moses, he had something else to add to verse 14. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. We are a generation a long way down the road. But we are thankful to know the name of our God. And His name is Jehovah. I am that I am. Now the word Jehovah isn't here. You've got to turn three chapters to Exodus chapter 6 to find the first occurrence of the name Jehovah which is those four consonants. Can you pronounce consonants when there is no vowel? You cannot pronounce consonants without vowels. 
So those four Hebrew consonants, for I am that I am, when they're pointed up with vowels from the other Hebrew names of God, Adonai and Elohim, you get this name. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 2. God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah, notice the consonants, J-H-V-H, the Hebrew sacred tetragrammaton, four consonants, pointed up with Elohim and Adonai vowels. Jehovah, was I not known to them. Look at back, flip back to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Poor Abraham. He was the friend of God, but he never knew God's name. Like Moses did. Genesis 17, 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. That is why, and there are other references like that, that is why in Exodus 6, 3, God said to Moses, I was known to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. I was not known to them like the name I've given you, Jehovah. Do you know how far we are past that? We know that our God is Jehovah, and I ask you, do you know the name of His Son? The name of His Son is Jesus of Nazareth. What does that name Jesus mean? Jehovah is salvation. Because Jesus is Joshua, which in its full long spelling in the Old Testament is Jehoshua. J-E-H-O-Shua. Jehovah is salvation. It's one of the favorite documents that are on our website out of two or three thousand. Type into our little magnifying glass a name above every name. I wish I could do it every week. But I think there's more things for us to learn. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What a name he has. A name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus. You know what hurts us is because charismatics and others run around and flip the name of Jesus off. And where I come from up north, they swear with the name of Jesus. And so the name of Jesus sometimes makes our skin crawl. But I'm telling you, and they, they, they hang pictures of, of Jesus in a manger and Jesus on a crucifix and a long-haired Jesus knocking at a door. And so we lose respect for the name. Do you know who's behind all of that? Satan is. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. But I'll tell you the name of Jesus. Do you know what it means? Jehovah of Moses. Jehovah of the burning bush is the Savior by taking on human flesh. And He is the risen, reigning, and returning Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hell quivers when you pray. And you use that name. The Bible indicates there's a plurality. Look at Genesis chapter 1. I hope that that little excursion into the name of our God was helpful. 
Genesis chapter 1. We can't get out of the first chapter of the Bible before we realize that God has a plurality of persons. Genesis chapter 1, all the way down through it, it's in the beginning God. It doesn't say in the beginning gods, in the beginning God. We get to verse 26, and God said, Let us, what kind of a pronoun is us? It's a plural pronoun, two or more. Let us make man in our image. What kind of a pronoun is our? Plural. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. What kind of a pronoun is our the second time? Plural. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in His. Is that singular or plural? Singular. Own. Singular or plural? Singular. Because it's attachment to His. Image. Singular or plural? Singular. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. Amen. Amen. There's a plurality taught very early in the Bible. If you were to go to Luke chapter 1, you will find out that the first person can be called the highest. Because the power of the highest would overshadow Mary, thus arranging the miraculous conception in a virgin. In John 1, we've learned the second person is called the Word. In Isaiah 48 and verse 16, the third person is called the Spirit. I'm just bouncing around the Bible. There's many proofs of the Trinity and their names. At the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, making Him Father. And who descended upon His head? But the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove upon the head of the Son of God. The baptismal formula, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and let's see another evidence of the Trinity in the Godhead of our God, Jehovah. And Jehovah said, let us make man. God Jehovah created and made man in their image. In our, in our own image. In, in His own image. A plurality and a singularity. All in two verses of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 13.14 The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. There's another reference to the Trinity. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're working on the phrase, the clause, and the Word was with God. Those words, and the Word was with God, establish that the one Godhead has multiple persons, and we know it to be three persons by the record of the rest of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. But with many of them, that doesn't look right. Let's pass over that cross-reference. We go to Daniel chapter 7, 
And God, there's a God there that is called the Ancient of Days, and the Son of Man is brought before Him. Different expressions in the Bible to distinguish the different persons of the Godhead. And of course, as I've quoted 1 John 5, 7 twice, we believe that. You know, in the Bible, sometimes it doesn't distinguish between the persons. For instance, in creation, often the Father is given the credit for creation. As we're going to see next Lord's Day from that third verse, even though in the third verse it's the Word that created. But many times it's God referencing the first person that created. But it also says the Spirit created. Look at Job 33 and verse 4. Job 33, 4, I'll read it to you. We're taking precious time looking. The Spirit of God hath made me. Job wrote in Job 33, 4, And the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. And so, when you look at all the verses in the Bible about creation, you find God the Father, the Word of God, God the Holy Spirit, they're all operating in it. Sometimes one is expressed more than others, and for the, the purpose is for our benefit. It's not to rank one above the other. We shouldn't even like the words first, second, and third person. Because that hinges on heresy. They're all equal. They're co-eternal, co-existent, co-subsistent. They do not need each other. They're all part of one singular Godhead. When you look at regeneration, sometimes it's the Word of God, the Son of God. Sometimes it's the Father. Sometimes it's the Spirit. Being regenerated by the Holy Ghost in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. When we read about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, sometimes it's God raised Him from the dead, sometimes it's the Holy Spirit that raised Him from the dead, and He Himself said, I have power to raise Myself from the dead. In John chapter 10. The Bible Trinity is far superior to any other Trinity. Take your red hymnals. If you turn in the back of your red hymnals to page 846. Page 846. We use this red hymnal. It's typically a Presbyterian hymnal. Some Baptist churches use it because it's known for a greater preponderance of hymns of praise. But it's got the Nicene Creed in the back of it, which we never use, which you probably didn't even know was there. I just want you to see what it says about the Trinity. We start at the beginning of it. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds. Hello? Where in the world did you find that ridiculous heresy? God of God. No, there is no God of God. Light of light, no. No light of light. That means one God proceeding from another or begotten of another. Very God of very God. Sorry, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, and so forth. If you're going to be orthodox, orthodox means holding the proper truth. If you're going to be orthodox, they want you to subscribe to this this thing right here. Sorry, we can't do that. Because our God is not of God. Our God is God. Now go over to page 850, where you have the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the Presbyterian Confession of 1646, 
which our Baptist fathers in 1689 copied basically word for word, except for a couple points in which we differ from the Presbyterians in church government and baptism. Everything else they just copied because they wanted to show their unity with these ex-Catholics. Top of the page. In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons. Of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. Sorry, He isn't. The Son is the Word, and the Word was God, as we're going to get to in a moment. The Bible Trinity is far superior to the speculative trinities of any other origin. The Bible has all three persons without any distinction at all in their nature or essence. The Bible knows nothing of God of God. It knows nothing of a begotten God, turning the Trinity into paganism. Rome, John Calvin, and others slander us for not using their man-made terminology for the Trinity. They proudly say we have to use origins terminology. That's an early so-called church father of the third century in order to be orthodox. The names, the Father, the Word, the Holy Spirit. I've mentioned to you that all the persons in the Godhead are holy because God is holy. I have mentioned to you that they're all spirit because God is a spirit. You know where these places are found, don't you? That God is holy and that God is a spirit. John chapter 4. But one is called the Holy Spirit. These names are relational. These names do not describe their nature toward each other. These names describe their relationship to us. When the Bible speaks of God as the Father, God is the Father of Adam by creation. Luke chapter 3 says Adam is the Son of God. How is Adam the Son of God? By creation. The angels are called the sons of God in a couple of places. How are they the sons of God? By creation. Jesus is the Son of God and refers to God as His Father. And we cry, Abba, Father, because God has adopted us as His children. These are relational terms. They are not terms to be used inside the Godhead of God the Father being the Father of the Word. God the Father is the Father of Jesus Christ of Nazareth because He was born in the, from the womb of a virgin by the power of God. Right. God as Father in the Old Testament is very rare, very difficult to even find it. And when you do find it, it is of Israel as a nation or prophetic of His relationship to Jesus Christ. It's in the New Testament where all the references made to God, our Father, our Heavenly Father, because we know about... Adoption. We're the sons of God. The Spirit of God inside us sheds abroad God's love for us and causes us to cry, Abba, Father. God has seven spirits according to Revelation chapters 3, 4, and 5. Why? Seven spirits. I thought there was one Holy Spirit. I thought there was only one God. Why is he said to have seven spirits? 
seven churches. So if there's enough spirit for each church, it's the candlestick in each church. Does Jesus walk among more than seven candlesticks? Yes. Seven's a perfect number. Seven's a full number in the Bible. Does He have more than seven stars in His right hand? I surely hope so. These are relational terms. They take those terms and apply them to the Word. The divine nature, the divine nature, the God part of Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. The divine part of Jesus Christ is God. The only place in the Bible where the word Father is attached to Him, relative in a relative way like this that we're speaking of right now, He is called the Everlasting Father in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Because in His divine nature, He is that. John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Those words, and the Word was with God, tell us in brief form, there is a trinity. So you've got to get at least a plurality, and from the rest of the Bible, we know it is a trinity of the singular God of the Bible. In that little phrase, there are Unitarians. What is una? One. Unitarians. Only one person. The oneness doctrine of the Charismatics and the Pentecostals. William Branham, a wild Pentecostal, promoted the confusion. Their Jesus is one God. Jesus is Father. Jesus is Son. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. There are no three persons. There's Jesus. It's the oneness doctrine. It's a heresy. It is not what is taught in the Bible. There are three that bear record in heaven. And Jesus is not one of them. It's the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And the Word was God. The, The Holy Spirit did not say the Son was God as eternal sonship heretics. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Trinity, and the Word was God the deity of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit did not say the Word was a God. Are there Bible translations today that say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God? Yes. The New World translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses, who should properly be called Russellites. They don't know anything about their Jehovah. By the way, do you know that we've already read their passage of Scripture by which they're named? In Isaiah 43, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. I am the first and the last. Who said He was the first and the last? Jesus did in Revelation chapter 1. It's going to get better. Just hold on until next Sunday and we get down to verse 3. Oh, I love the Word of God. They want to get into Isaiah 43 and claim that as calling them to be Jehovah's Witnesses then they better be witnesses of Jesus as Jehovah because Jesus claimed to be the Jehovah of Isaiah 43. Right. Do you remember the five facts that we're learning in these first three verses? The first fact is that the Word was eternal. In the beginning was the Word. The second fact is that He was with God, implying, and for us, proving the Trinity. The third fact is right now, the Word was God. Jesus Christ is fully 
God. He is Jehovah. Fourth fact in the next verse, verse 2, is that Jesus Christ in His divine nature as the Word of God was with God co-eternally, co-existing with the Father. The fifth verse, we call Him the Father on this side of the cross because that's His name in the New Testament. The fifth descriptive fact in the third verse is that the Word was uncreated but created all things. I want you to remember those things and understand why we have these short clauses that John starts out with. I, I hope that you read and heard and saw last night in 1 John chapter 1, its first three verses, that John is very particular about how he defines Jesus of Nazareth. And he starts out the same way here. So I want you to know before we get anywhere in the 21 chapters, we have had established to us five important identifying facts about Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Word made flesh. And the Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning, co-eternal with God. And He made all things, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He was uncreated Creator of all things. The Word of God, as God, is perfect deity, fully equal to the God He was with. Not only was the Word of God with God, but He was Himself God as well. And the Word was God. If the Word of God was God, then He is not a God or a begotten God. I get nauseated with that terminology. I couldn't believe that the smartest man at Bob Jones University would respond to us by saying there is no doctrinal difference of a begotten God in John 1.18. But when you have spent your professional life pushing the New American Standard Bible in Bible classes for preacher boys, though the entire university used the King James Bible, and though there was a plaque in the pulpit of Bob Jones University saying that only the King James Bible would be used in this pulpit, you have a lot of crow to eat about a verse like John 1.18. A begotten God. Our God is not begotten. Our Jesus in His divine nature is not begotten at all. He is an unbegotten God as much as the Father. The deity of Jesus Christ has long been questioned, compromised, and attacked. God foretold the great enmity between Satan and the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Eden. Satan has long known the humiliating and painful truth. Jehovah would promote a man over him. Listen to this. Who said these words? I will be like the Most High. Listen to this. Can Jesus say this? Does He say it in other words? I am the Most High. (laughs) Praise the Lord. What a Savior! Hallelujah, what a Savior! Before Abraham was, I am. Oh, wait till the devil meets this man. The man Christ Jesus, our Savior. You know when I call him a man, I'm I'm just using the terminology of the Bible because he is a full man. Do you know in Acts chapter 4 in prayer, those mighty apostles prayed in the name of thy holy child Jesus. Is it wrong to say terminology like that? Not if you're going to be apostolic. He was no longer a child in the sense of an infant, but was he still his son? Absolutely. What is his greatest title in heaven relative to the angels? The Son of God. Has he ever called the angels his sons in the same way he calls 
Jesus, his son, in a different way only. I will be like the Most High. He's going to meet a man. Like, like him. He's our brother. I am the Most High. Amen. Now have a nice eternity. A nice life isn't long enough. Have a nice eternity. In the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Right. Satan hates the Lord Jesus Christ and wants to destroy his glory and kingdom by doctrinal lies, insinuations, and caricatures of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in John chapter 1, Philip thought Jesus was Joseph's son, as did many others. Is not this the son of the carpenter? Oh, maybe on your birth certificates, but not in reality. Nathaniel, like others, dismissed Jesus due to coming from Nazareth. Did any good thing come out of Nazareth? Oh, yes. The fairest of 10,000. The express image of God. The apostles told Jesus that the Jews had a variety of opinions about him. Some thought he was John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, a prophet, and the Son of God. The Jews tried to kill him for saying he was God's son. John chapter 10. A theological speculator, Origen, used Greek philosophy of Gnosticism to try to define the Trinity in terms agreeable to them. He imagined that God generated the deity of the Son in eternity past, which he understood as an inferior God. Origen, who came up with the terminology that I just read to you from the Nicene Creed and the Westminster Confession of Faith, he fully understood that he was a Jehovah's Witness. And that John 1.1 should read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. He understood it. Now Arius, that's the father of the Arians, who deny that Jesus is God. Arius rejected the idea of an inferior God as being a contradiction of terms and made Jesus, in His divine nature, a a creature. And so they held the Council of Nicaea, and you saw the Nicene Creed. That little summary came out of the Nicene Creed. It was a state-run council of churches. Our brothers wouldn't even have been there. Michael Servetus who only got to live 42 years, attacked this heresy. And John Kelvin had him burned at the stake in Geneva, Switzerland in 1553. Roman Catholics, Protestants, most Baptists, and the Jehovah's Witnesses are uniting in behold, united in holding to a begotten God from the speculative language of origin about the eternal generation of the Son, which is required in all seminaries. The largest collection of sermons for Audio distribution on the internet is sermon audio. We cannot join sermon audio. Do you know why? Because they have a little confession of faith about this big that you have to agree to. And part of that little confession of faith is you have to agree to the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ. We deny. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The deity of Jesus Christ is the doctrine that Jesus Christ was and is fully God. The word deity means the estate or rank of God. Jesus was God. The word deity is not in the Bible, but the word Godhead is. 
and Godhead means the same thing as deity. It is the estate or rank of a God, the collection of, at, the collection of attributes that make a God. His Godhead is Godhead in the Bible. You bet it is. Acts 17, Romans 1, and Colossians 1. How much of the Godhead was in the Lord Jesus Christ? The fullness of the Godhead. Colossians 1, 9. In Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you know what kind of a man was on earth? Our Lord Jesus Christ. I have power to lay my life down, and I have power to take it up again. Deity isn't a Bible word, but the word nature is, relative to God, the nature of God. In Galatians 4, 8 and some other places, He took not on Him uh, the nature of angels, but He took on Him the nature of the seed of Abraham in that particular place is referring to our human nature. How about in Philippians 2, 6, the word deity isn't used, who being in the form of God, the deity of God, did not think it was robbery to be equal to God. So the Bible teaches us this over and over, that the Godhead and the form of God and the nature of God was all in the Lord Jesus Christ, in His divine nature and His human nature. He was the best of both. Our mediator, our Savior, our Lord. Jesus is fully God. Look at Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Isaiah 7. Brethren, I'm sorry that I'm going so slow. Uh, we will increase the pace as we get further into it. Remind me when we get to chapters like chapter 2 that we should be able to do it in two, two sermons. John stressed the detailed facts of identifying Jesus properly. And so we're going to take some time for it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was eternal, therefore Jesus is eternal. And the Word was with God. So there's a trinity, because we have implied at least two in that second clause. And the Word was God. The Word was Jehovah. Jesus is the Word made flesh, so Jesus is Jehovah God. Jesus is eternal God. Jesus in His divine nature is part of the Trinity. Jesus is full deity. Jesus coexisted with the Father in eternity. He wasn't begotten or generated or emanating from Him. By verse 2, He is uncreated and He created all things. All, Ari, listen, Jehovah's Witnesses, Arians, Muslims, Mormons, Roman Catholics, and Protestants are all annihilated by the first three verses of John 1. The Eunomians, the Gnostics, the Serinthians, they're all annihilated by the first three verses of John 1. If we grasp what is being said by the Apostle of Love, as he hits with the gospel blow right in the face of heresy about Jesus of Nazareth. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. How in the world can you write that, Isaiah? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you know the shock that occurred in this country in 1952 when the Revised Standard Version hit our bookstores and was being promoted in churches? 
that a young woman shall conceive? What should I behold about that? Young women have been conceiving for a long time. A virgin shall conceive. There was war. And there was separation. And we ended up with some fundamentalists that were going to stick to the King James Bible. And the rest ran down the road of the new, of the revised standard version of 1952. Then the new American standard. Then the new international. Then the English standard. And now they've got, I can't keep track of all the new revised and standards. All of which don't make any sense. But they have the new revised standard version. They just keep revising. Look at this verse. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Can you see at the end of that name you've got a little two letters called E-L? Elohim. We're about to, let's pop to the New Testament and see what the Holy Spirit tells us. I want you to learn that your Bible defines quite a few words itself. We never want to rely on the Hebrew or the Greek to define English words. That doesn't make very much sense. That's like you trying to operate your BMW by an owner's manual in German. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is, thank you, Lord, God with us. God with us. What's another name of Jesus? Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with us. Is He full deity? He's God. The Lord our God is one Lord. There's only one, and He's it. 1 Timothy 3.16 The great mystery of godliness. Hear it from me. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. I've already given you Colossians 2 and verse 9. If I said Colossians 1.9, my memory is saying that I did. I meant Colossians 2.9. For in Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus was fully God. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Your Jesus is fully God and fully man. He can relate to you. He can relate to God. He is God. He can relate to you. He's a man. We have a wonderful Savior. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. But under the sun He saith, This is God speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. You get your hands on a New World Translation of the Bible, it says the throne of God is forever and ever. But this is the Bible. This is the Word of God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. God Himself said that Jesus was God in this passage of Scripture. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Thomas, who should have known Jesus best in the upper room, after Jesus said, look at my hands and my side, Thomas. My Lord and my God. Right. Titus chapter 2 and thirteen, verse 13. What is the blessed hope? The soon appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at these verses. 
They're, they're wonderful. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Almighty Alpha and Omega, comparing Himself to God in Revelation chapter 1. Every knee is going to bow to God. But Philippians 2 that I read to you this morning, every knee shall bow to Jesus. He must be God. Romans chapter 9 and verse 5 says, Jesus is God blessed forever. God blessed forever. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, it says that God has purchased the church with His own blood. Jesus is the one that shed blood. Jesus must be God. Right. And we could go on and on. They changed the Bible. They changed John 1.18 to read a begotten God. They changed 1 Timothy 3.6 to say, He shall be manifest in the flesh. Who's He? They take out of 3.13, which is in heaven. Remember I showed you last Lord's Day? John 3.13, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And He says, The Son of Man which came down from heaven, which is in heaven. That requires deity to be in two places at once like that. They changed the Bible to support their heresy. The same was in the beginning with God. They're both co-equal, co-eternal. Satan wanted to be like the Most High, but Jesus is the Most High with a human body. Praise His glorious name. I hope that you understand that verse 2 is not a foolish, wasteful, redundant repetition. It is tying up all the loose ends. There's no loose ends left. It goes right back to the opening statement, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Co-eternal, co-existent, not proceeding, not emanating, not one being a predecessor in any way, shape, or form, or metaphorical use of that Word. But the same was in the beginning with God. Eternal, right along beside God, I am that I am. Jesus is, I am that I am in the flesh. What should this mean to you? Jesus Christ in His divine nature has been fully defined for you to believe Him. You have been equipped with knowledge to reject many heresies against Him. You know Jesus in a way that JWs, Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, Mormons do not. He is eternal Jehovah. You may put your full trust in Him, the Son of God, to deliver you from all the threats to your soul. He committed by covenant in eternity to fully redeem you as a Son of God. Before Genesis 1.1, His incarnation of taking on human flesh was for no other purpose than your salvation for God's glory. His names, the names of the Godhead, are relational for your redemption. The full Godhead is committed to redeem you without any possibility of failure. What more could we ask for? What more could we want? Thank you, Lord. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that He is the Son of God? Are you committed to live your life for Emmanuel, God with us? May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen. Amen.